If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open to Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. The title of this morning's message is Living Faith. And I specifically entitled it that because, quite frankly, in the church today, whether you're a deep-thinking theologian or if you're just the average guy or average lady attending church, we often think of faith in the terms of saving faith. What kind of faith does it really take to be saved? And that's the discussion, especially Southern Baptists have all the time in church, Bible studies, that sort of stuff. But it's a saving faith should be a faith that you live out, that changes your life. And the challenge with that, though, is it takes work in a, in a way that maybe has never really been expressed or taught in church as much as it should. So Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 takes faith and it begins to lay out a very clear path on how we are to live. And it's reflected in the New Testament as well with Jesus' teaching, the apostles and the, the letters to the churches. It's pretty much same Old Testament, New Testament, just a different covenant. But let's begin in verse 1. This is Solomon inspired by God writing to his son. He says, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Let's start out with what he's commanding through these verses. He says, do not forget. Let your heart keep. Let not these things forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. That's a living faith. You see, church, and I love church. I love having you here today to worship we build one another up when we come together. We love one another. We admonish one another. We worship together. This is important, but this does not accomplish that. If we were to try to accomplish that every week, you would have a written test. <laughs> you really would. And, and the crowd would get much thinner over summer, and then in fall, it would just be gone. You would literally have a written test of like, all right, write down the verses that we're going over. And here's a blank sheet of paper. No multiple choice, no ABC, no fill in the blank even. You would just have a test. That's what he's talking about here, actually taking God's word and his commands. Not one command, but all of them, as much as you can, and place them in your heart. In other words, not just know them intellectually, but let it change you from the inside out. And so when does this occur? How do we make this happen? Because a living faith, if, if your faith is just nothing more than basically shots of espresso, and that's kind of what a church is, right? You're going throughout the week and you needed just a shot of God and, the, and like being around some faithful people or believers and the Holy Spirit. And, and like, I'm just going to take a shot and I'm going to go to Sunday morning and, and you're inspired or convicted or whatever the case may be. You're there in church and then you leave and then you're like down again. And then you're looking for some small group activities or some service projects, and you're constantly moving from one shot of espresso to the next just to try to get you through the day. But God's faith, the faith that he teaches, is not being hooked on espresso, but getting good sleep. And here 
He's telling us, let God's word sink into your heart. Bind them around your neck. Don't forsake them. What does that look like? Well, for each and every person, it looks a little bit different. How do you learn? How do you memorize stuff? And that's, that's almost a foreign concept today, right? Because everything that we have, all of our smartphones, all of our computers, everything that we have is designed so we don't have to remember stuff. Like the little browser bar on your computer, it, it memorizes your passwords for you, right? So you don't have to remember all 37 different passwords that you have. You have apps on your phone that take you to the websites. Everything is designed so you don't have to think and memorize. But that's just the opposite of what God calls us and commands us to do. And we're going to take a look at what that looks like in just a moment. But he says, do not forget my teaching. I don't know how you're raising kids today, but there is a, a thought out there, almost a, a philosophy that says, I'm going to raise my kids up and I'm going to let them choose their faith. That's not what this is. When he says, my teaching, the, the Hebrew word there is Torah. It's referring to the law. And he's ingrained it in, it is my Torah. It is my law. And he's instructing his son. So this isn't just Solomon making his own words up. This is Solomon taking God's word and placing it in his heart. He is, it is his personal law, his personal faith. And he's saying, forget, don't forget my law. It's moved from just the text to scripture. And that's how he's raising his son, even as his son gets older. Whatever way in which you're raising your kid, you're raising your kids in a certain philosophy or way that, that you've chosen. It's not neutral. If you've chosen to not teach your kids the word of God, that's a conscious decision that you're making. If you've chosen to do it, again, a conscious decision. But there is no neutrality. You, as a parent, are raising your kids or grandkids in a certain way. And he's choosing to embrace God's word and teach it. And he says, let your heart keep, again, my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Some have said that's just kind of a general truth. Because that's what sometimes Proverbs are. They're general truths. But I don't see how you get from this promise to a general truth of maybe it's true sometimes and maybe not. Let's look at this second verse a little closer. He says, for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. I believe that's a promise. You see, we have no idea how many days God has given us. But there's going to come a day when you and I die. He's not promising even a long life here, and he's not even promising a life that doesn't have problems and difficulties and sickness and sorrow. That's not at all. Whatever in God's grace and his providence, he says, if you lead this righteous life trying to follow my word, God gives you additional days and peace in this life. I, I don't have the calculation. I don't know how he does it, but it's a pretty clear promise. Not only is it a promise, but it's actually kind of common sense. If you lead a, a sinful lifestyle where you're abusing your body, where you're involved in sinful activities, there's a price to be paid for that. 
sickness, disease, uh, horrible relationships, situations that might even cost you your life. That's actually just common sense, but here it, it goes beyond that. This promise that he says, length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. As you follow God's word, you avoid those sort of, sort of things. You avoid the common pitfalls. You seek God. Keeps you out of trouble. Verse 3, he says, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. The Hebrew word here translated steadfast love is hesed. It's this idea of covenant love. It's entering into a covenant with God. It's that overwhelming committed love that never forsakes or leaves you. King James translates it mercy, probably doesn't capture it really well, but it does translate this other word faithfulness, the ESV translates, as truth. That's a better translation, I believe. So let, let not steadfast love and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablets of your heart. God's love and his truth. It's not an either or, but it's a pairing. And he fleshes this out. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of man and of God. Verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And many of you know this verse. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Common verse that is memorized by our kiddos. Maybe you've hidden it in your heart. But he continues. He says, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. I came to know the Lord later in life at age 13 in, in high school, and I started going to, to a church too different than this. And they were teaching me verses to memorize, and this is one of them that I memorized in the NIV, and it's a little hard. It's pretty close to this, but I never really understood that verse. It seemed so easy, but at the same time, honestly, I was looking around, and, and I didn't really see a lot of people living it. Let's look at it a little closer. Trust in the Lord with all of your hearts. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. All of it. Not some of it. Not a little bit. It takes literally giving your whole life, all your dreams, all your desires, all of the problems, all of your character and personality, all of your history, all of that. It's trust in the Lord with all of that. It's really tough if you try to live with one foot in the world and one foot out of the world. Unless you fully trust God, it's tough to know him. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. So you're supposed to trust in the Lord with everything and not your understanding. It's not to get rid of the knowledge that you have on how to change an engine in a truck or the knowledge you have in English or computer science. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about life here. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. But in order to trust in the Lord with all of your heart, you actually have to know what God's word says. This is what this, visually, this is what this looks like on the slide above me. If I can, there we go. 
Imagine every aspect of life, ministry, past hurts, finance, wealth, home, pets, um, relationships, all of this stuff. God says we're to trust in God in those areas and to lean not on our own understanding. So we have to know what God says about that. Remember, keep all of, your, all of these commandments, bind them around your neck, place them in, the, in your heart. That's the context of this passage that so many of us have memorized. It's bound in God's truth. And so when we trust in him, we have to have a foundational understanding. But if we stop here, this is what a friend of mine calls behavior management. And it fails. Do you have some sort of sin or addiction in your life or some sort of character issue that you have? Maybe you're bitter, hopeless, really uh, down on yourself or whatever the case. Maybe you don't like to forgive. Maybe you're short-natured or or short-tempered. Maybe you just have a nature that's kind of unfriendly, um, whatever the case may be. And you try to work on that over and over again and you try to fail. And you try to do well, but you fail time and time and time again. That's behavior management. That's behavior modification. It doesn't work. Because you have to go to the heart first. Jesus says, clean the inside of the cup first, and then the outside will be clean. That's this side of the picture. If, If you don't really understand who God is that is giving you these commands, it seems legalistic. It seems dry. But when you delve into God's word and you begin hiding his word in your heart about who he is, his mercy, his love, his sovereignty, his providence, his care, his justice, his judgment, that's when you move into a relationship and as you know him, you want to obey his word in life. But if you don't trust in this God, the true God of the Bible, with all of your heart, then you're just behavior modification. You're full of guilt every time you come to church. You really don't want to talk about what God's doing in your life because you failed time and time and time and time again. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. This is more than just a tip of the cap. In Hebrew, this means to know him. In all your ways, know him. If you had to list the scriptures that you know in your heart that describe the God that has saved you, how far down the page could you get before you ran out of scriptures? You see, Southern Baptists love to try to make every person in church an evangelist. Some people are gifted with evangelism, some aren't. You don't have to be an evangelist to talk about God, though. What you do have to do is to know his word so as you're talking about God and what he's doing in your life, then you're just living your faith. You're not an evangelist, but people hear and see and reflect that. Let me ask you a simple question. Many of you serve here in this ministry or other ministries. If you just, in your mind, took out a piece of paper and wrote down all the time, money, and effort you spend in ministry, maybe teaching, singing, proclaiming, whatever the case, serving, 
And then you compare that to the time you spent alone with God trying to hide his word in your heart. Which list has more time, money, and effort represented? You see, the first list, people can evaluate. People can judge and say, man, I'm so proud of you. We had a great group of guys here serving uh, this past week. They opened up a back wall so we have more room for people. It was awesome. And you can tangibly feel good about that. You're together and people are giving you the attaboys and, and it's fun. But sitting alone, quietly trying to hide God's word in our hearts so we can acknowledge him, in all of our ways, that's a little tougher. But that is a living faith. That is a faith that you can live out. He says, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Once again, behavior modification just says, well, I shouldn't do that. Well, that's, that's not really helpful if you're really passionate and have a desire that is pulling you towards something. But if you understand God first and who he is, his mercy, his love, his judgment, his justice, if you understand his plan of creation and recreation and his coming judgment and new heavens, new earth, that changes things a little bit. It's kind of like this. Anyone in here have a mom? Yes. I'll leave it to you. Trick question, right? So when I was a kid, uh, I would come into the house, and uh, if I did something wrong, uh, I got spankings. Uh, it wasn't the, the touchy-feely uh, sort of child-rearing that we have today, and God bless you, you don't always need to spank a kid. Uh, but I would get a spanking only occasionally, and we had this belt hanging on the doorknob uh, that went into our hallway, and so occasionally my mom would give a spanking, but there came a time, and all of you parents know this, when your kids get too big for the spanking, because like if you get the belt, they might take it away from you and use it on you. Yeah, you're like, eh, we need to try something else. And, and you realize spanking wasn't the solution. It was just in some cases probably overused. But whatever the case, my mom went to plan B. Plan B was this. I knew mom. I had no fear of mom. Mom was a, a softy. She was kind. She was gracious. And she could threaten me all she wanted. But she moved to plan B, and plan B was, wait till your dad gets home. Those simple little words. And all of a sudden, the fear of God came into me. I didn't even know God at that time, and I was afraid. Because dad, I didn't want to face dad. I knew dad, and I couldn't mess around with dad. I, mom was a pushover. But, and it's not like dad ever beat me. I think I can remember one spanking in my whole life. But the fear of dad was something different. I knew that. It's just a little different when you have a relationship. I still love dad, but I had a different sort of relationship with dad. And so the fear of God, just this awe of we, the world is more than what we see. All of creation was created by God. And we have the pleasure and honor to be in a relationship with that God. And there has to be a time occasionally where you just stand back in reverence of God and realize how big and powerful God is. 
and how small I am. Turn away from evil, and it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. He's not speaking of here of some medical advice where you, you take God's word and all of a sudden you're healed of leprosy. No, what he's talking about is real simple. Are you sitting here this morning? Are you tired of being sad? Are you tired of feeling unworthy? Are you tired of feeling bitter? Are you tired of feeling angry? Are you tired of carrying all those old hurts with you? Because those sorts of things wear you down. They're wearisome to the bones. They literally, it feels like you're in a dark cloud. If you've talked to anyone that has experienced real serious depression, they will talk to you about just utter darkness that feels like there's nothing that you can do to overcome it. It affects you physically. When I was in the pharmaceutical industry, besides smoking, the number two cause of heart attacks is stress. Anxiety has a physical effect on you. And when you take all of those burdens off you and you just rest in the peace of God, it is healing. It is refreshment to your body. Verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth. Uh Uh-oh, he's really beginning to step on people's toes here. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns, or better probably translated, your storehouses will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. For those of you that are not familiar with the Old Testament, in the Old Testament you had tithes and offerings. And literally tithes is plural. You had multiple tithes. It wasn't just 10%. It was multiple 10% and it was used for different things. And it wasn't 10% of your wealth. It was 10% of the increase of the produce of the ground. That's why they had storehouses. That's why Malachi says, talking about storehouses and giving, the tithes. So it was this honoring of God with the increase of the produce of the ground, the very land that God provided, it would go to the Lord. It spoke nothing of wealth in general, of the person who was the tent maker, of the metal worker. It was just the increase of the produce of the ground. But here, we're beginning to see a transition. We are to honor the Lord with our wealth, or in some translations, our possessions. It's no longer I'm just going to give the first of my money and walk away and do whatever I want with my money. It's all of God that has given me. It is His. I'm managing it. And I'm going to honor the Lord with all my wealth. Maybe in some cases it means being generous and giving even more. Maybe in other cases it means something entirely different. Investing in investments that are honoring and glorifying to God rather than other investments. Maybe it's just simply managing your money well and teaching your children to manage their money well so they're not dependent upon others. There's also sorts of ways in which you can honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of your produce. Then your storehouses will be filled with plenty and your vats be bursting with wine. The New Testament, Jesus puts it like this. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You seek God, He isn't necessarily going to make you rich, but he's going to give you enough. He's going to feed you. He's going to clothe you. 
As you seek God in his righteousness, you find out you're supposed to work. And it's amazing how God uses work. (laughs) You work, you often get paid. When you get paid, if you spend your money on good things, you get to eat. If you don't, you get to have a nice car and starve. It's crazy how some people use their wealth. But it's a simple formula that God gives. Not a formula for riches, this health and wealth gospel, but God providing. Verse 11 and 12, we'll finish with this. He says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of his reproof. This isn't a picture of God beating people and sending tragedies into your life to wreck your life and thinking, well, I must somehow displease God, therefore I have, what, cancer, whatever disease, or some sort of financial misfortune. This discipline here is the idea of training or instruction. God is instructing us. His commands of us hiding his word in our hearts takes discipline. It's the picture of an athlete competing We see it here in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 5, quotes this very passage of Scripture. In verse 12 of uh, Proverbs 3, he finishes it. He says, For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, is this quotation. The writer says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Once again, some people interpret that as like a beating. But no, he's saying this training of the Lord. Nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. And then finally, he says in verse 10, For they disciplined us for a short time, referring to fathers, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us, referring to God, for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For at the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. Verse 12, Therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. This is a picture of the person who walks into the YMCA hasn't been in there forever. And they go over to the machines and, and they see this young man and he's sitting there and he's doing the squats, right? He loads like 5,000 pounds on the squat bar and he, and, he, and he stands back up. This is a picture of someone saying, straighten up. You can do it. Because if you're old like me and you don't have any weight and you begin it's creaking. It's, it's not a good sound. You realize older. It's strengthen yourself. You have to be disciplined in hiding God's word in your heart so you can live out your faith. God does so. He doesn't make it easy. He doesn't make it as easy as coming to church for a reason. Because as you learn and strengthen your faith, your faith gets stronger. Your faith doesn't get stronger walking through a door. Your faith doesn't get stronger even serving in ministry. It may be stronger in that particular ministry, but it doesn't make you stronger in your heart in regards to all the other areas of life. It's a discipline process that God desires to send us through. 
So our faith will be a living faith, not just a saving faith. I pray that you take the time this week to find a way in which you can invest time and money and effort, even in the crazy circumstances of whatever your life is, to get away and hide God's word, not just in your mind, memorizing it, but truly in your heart where you take it and live it out. And you will see radically changed lives full of peace and joy in amazingly difficult circumstances. Do it not, and you're going to live life on your own understanding. And if you've been down that road and down that path, it's not a fun place to be. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so very much. I thank you for your grace in my life. And I confess before you and everyone here, I'm terrible at doing the very thing I preach. I need to be better at it, but Lord, you know in my heart I've been trying uh, more so now than any point in my life. But it's one thing to memorize Scripture, and it's another to live it out. And I just pray as everyone here tries to build their faith this week, that you give them good success, that you take away the lies of, well, I can't do it, I'm not good at memorizing, uh, it's too hard. Help them to have success, to hold on to your promises, to be changed, to be strong in their faith, Father. In Christ's name I pray this, amen.